where Paul wrote, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well that God will open to us a door for the word that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Titius will tell you all the news about me. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, greets you. These are the only ones of the circumcision among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. He is always wrestling in his prayers on your behalf so that you may stand mature and fully assured in everything that God wills. For I testify for him that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you read also the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you complete the task that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So today we have reached the end of our walk through Colossians. And what I love about this letter is that not only is it meant to encourage us, but more importantly, it challenges us here today. In the, near the beginning of the letter, Paul wrote about how it's important for us as believers to live out faith, hope, and love. And in that opening chapter, Paul laid out who we know Christ to be. That we know that Jesus is the one in whom and for whom all things came into being. That he is Lord of all. And because of this, we are challenged to have a hope that is not some type of wishful fantasy, but it is a hope that is grounded in the concrete reality of who we know our Savior to be. A hope that grounds us 
no matter what's going on around in the world. And then in the second chapter, Paul challenged us to take our faith seriously, to live out our faith every day, not just at church and not just around fellow believers. He challenged us to be rooted in Christ, to continue to seek him, to continue to know him better, to not be complacent in our faith, and to continue to love him more. And then last week, Paul laid out how we are called to be a people of love. How we are called to let the love of Christ flow in us and through us. So that the love of Christ transforms every relationship that we have and every space that we live in. Home, work, school. We are called to let Christ's love make us patient and humble and forgiving. Paul has challenged us each step of the way in this letter. And as we get to this final chapter and read his parting words, there are two things that I want us to look at together today. And One is the importance of praying for those outside of our church, for those believers and their churches. And the second is the reminder that we must take our witness seriously. And I was, as I was thinking about both of these things this week, I kept thinking about God moments. About those moments in the everyday, in the ordinary, in the moments of utter joy and utter sorrow, where God breaks into our world in such a way that his presence is It's so real, it's almost tangible. Let me explain a little more. Let's look at the importance of prayer. In verse 3, Paul outright asked this church in Colossae, pray for me. Pray for those who are in prison with me because of the gospel. Pray for us that doors continue to be opened, even here. And then starting in verse 7, almost until the end, Paul starts listing all these people who are praying for that church. Some of them not knowing them. Who are sending their blessings and encouragement. Two of the people are being sent to that church to help them. And as I was looking at these verses, I was in awe of the camaraderie, the teamwork, and the unity. The fact that these people, most of them not knowing each other, were being so intentional 
about praying for one another and encouraging one one another. And it made me start thinking about our world. And let's be honest, it seems like we churches like to compete against each other. We compete about attendance numbers, size of the building, size of the budget. Well, our ministry is doing this. What's yours doing? There's this attitude of competition that sometimes permeates the relationship of the global church body. But we're not, this isn't a competition between churches. We're partners, we're brothers and sisters in the global body of Christ. And that has to mean something. It has to mean that we are praying for one another to be equipped and strengthened and encouraged. We have to be praying for Ridgecrest, for Broadmoor, for St. Francis, for Madison UMC, for Parkway Hills. Think about this. Within a two-mile radius of our physical church building, in two miles, 52% of the people around us are not involved in a church or a faith community. We have to be praying for all the churches in our area because we're not, going, we're not the only church who can reach them. And we're not going to reach everyone because every church is unique. We have to be praying that all churches are equipped and made bold to go out so that that 52% becomes zero. We have to be praying for one another so that all may know the truth that has entered our world, the truth that has taken place in history, the truth that God has not left us, the truth that Christ is calling each of our names. And I think the most powerful thing we can pray for churches around the globe and its leaders and its members is for them to experience a God moment. When they are discouraged, when they are hurt, when they are tired after working so hard and seeing so little fruit, we have to pray for God to enter their world and encourage them. A few years ago, I worked as a youth pastor at a relatively small church. And over a period of two months, for a church of that size, we experienced a number of deaths. And the hardest came when we lost one of our youth. And for months, we as a church named the fact that we were numb and that we felt like we were stuck at the foot of the cross on Black Friday or Good Friday, however we want to call it. We were stuck. And I I knew that other churches and other people were praying for us after hearing about just the pain that we were going through. And then one Sunday after Easter had already passed, 
our youth led us in worship. And there was one word that they told me that they wanted to take to our church family. And that word was hope. And so they, they did the sermon, they picked the scripture, the hymns, they wrote an affirmation of faith. And on that Sunday, it was Easter. And on that Sunday, we as a church experienced a God moment that made us want to live again. And I think that so much of that day is because of the prayers of other people for our church. God moments empower us to go out and to make disciples as Jesus has called us to. And this making of disciples, this going out, it requires us taking our witness seriously. Author Brennan Manning said at the beginning of the DC talk song, Jesus Freak, that the number one cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus as Lord with our lips, but not with our lives. Perhaps that's why in verses five and six, Paul reminds the church in Colossae, take every opportunity to show your witness, to show non-believers who you know the living God to be. So much of this letter is about letting this church know how we are called to be a faithful witness of the one we are able to call our savior Non-believers are watching us. The question is, what will they see? Will they see lives that draw them into God's story or lives that push them away? Will our words introduce non-believers to the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? Or will our words make them feel hurt and discouraged? In a world so consumed by fear, fear of the future, fear of other people, do we as believers choose to live into that fear or do we live on the hope that God is not done with us. The hope that evil and darkness will never have the final say. In a world that tells us to hold grudges and to seek revenge, will our witness live into that or will we live being challenged to forgive, being challenged to live a life of grace because we have experienced a grace that we know that we cannot keep to ourselves. When we are faithful in our witness, those moments enable non-believers to have their own God moment. 
It enables them to see just a glimpse sometimes of the living God. And sometimes they may shrug it off, but still they can't say that it didn't happen. When we are faithful, they will see our God. So the question for us as St. Matthew's is, will we, one, will we pray for all churches around the world, for the churches in our community, that we all be equipped and strengthened, that we all grow until every person walking this earth knows that God is here? Will we pray for God moments? For all churches, when they feel like they are stuck? And will we choose to be challenged to take our witness of who we profess our Savior to be seriously? Will we take seriously the fact that we have been called to live a life shaped by the faith, hope, and love found in our Savior and teacher and friend. I hope that we leave this place, maybe send a prayer card to other churches. Let them know they're not alone that our churches are standing together, that we're praying for one another, we're going to work with one another. I pray we leave this place and we keep thinking about the Savior we have been called to follow and how our life can point others to the God who so wants them to know how much they are loved. Let us pray. Lord, it is hard sometimes to be a follower. It is hard sometimes to bear witness. It is hard sometimes not to let this idea of competition not come into our church somehow, but Lord, we come to you knowing that, that you have called us to be holy, that you have called us yours. And so Lord, this day we just pray for every church that you break into their world. And we pray that you strengthen us and make us bold enough so that when non-believers encounter us, they will see you and know that you are there. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.